Doc from the John Freaking Mirpod, and I want to let you know about our new website on WordPress. Take a few minutes and check it out. You'll be able to find pictures of the pod's guests, links to the podcast and social media accounts, ways to support the pod, how to get in touch, and our entire back catalog is there, including episode summaries. Missed these sections of the JMT episodes? You can find them there. Missed a Triple Crowner episode? Yep, that's there too. World travelers, adventure athletes, polar explorers, Barkley Marathon competitors, authors, filmmakers, documentarians, and more are waiting for you. Take a look at the new website, and just a reminder, adventure lives here. Look deep into nature, and then you will understand everything better. Albert Einstein. I had a hard time coming back. And, and one, one of the things, coming back, people would say, so how was your trip? You know, and I would say, well, did you see the photos I added, you know, on Facebook there? And like, oh, yeah, it was really beautiful. I was like, okay, so a picture is worth a thousand words. These are million word places. And so that picture, those pictures were lousy. And I, I don't even know what to tell. I didn't know. I, I couldn't. I, I wasn't really effervescent with my speech. I didn't know what to say. And Michelle would call me rude a couple of times because, like, I, I'm like, I don't know. And they're like, what are you going to do next? I'm like, I don't need to one-up myself. Like, I just did, like, the cool. I don't need to do 2,000 miles to feel better about myself than this. Like, I couldn't talk about I couldn't talk about it because it was a million-word place, and I only had a 1,000, and they were on a photograph, you know? I'm Doc, and this is the John Freaking Mirpod. Welcome to the John Freaking Mirpod. Lace up those boots and sling on the pack for a romp through trails, short and long. With your host and Renaissance man, Doc, it's time to embrace the suck. Welcome back to another week on the trail. I'm Doc, and this is the John Freaking Muir Pod. Just a quick reminder, if you are enjoying the podcast, take just a minute and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you're not enjoying the pod, well, just go ahead and keep that to yourself. This week, I'm excited to welcome to the pod Jay and Michelle Wilson. Jay is the author of the JMT memoir, Elevation Gain, and the two of them are here to talk about the book, their adventures on the trail, and how they got involved in the thru-hiking cult. Welcome, welcome to the pod, you two. Thanks for having us. Appreciate it. Glad to be here. Absolutely. What part of the country are you, are you in right now? We live in Iowa. That's right. What part of Iowa? Southwest Iowa. Out in the country, we have a little uh, acreage. We both sort of started here in this neck of the woods when we were young, and I think we both moved around a little bit when we were little, but 
when we grew up, we eventually wound up here. Long walkabout around the country. We lived in Arizona. We lived in North Carolina. And eventually we kind of moved back to sort of finish our boys off free range style. And so we bought an acreage out in the country in Southwest Iowa. Very nice. Uh, for those keeping track at home in your JFM pod trivia, Doc was born in Iowa. He was born in really? Waterloo, Iowa. And you still, still have some family out there. My, my dad's parents uh, were um, raised in and grew up in and lived in Dyke, Iowa, tiny, tiny town. Uh, yeah. One stoplight. If you blink, you, you, you miss uh, when you drive through that town. So great, great. Nice. State of Iowa. We have that connection. I got friends in Waterloo for sure. Nice. Nice. Now when you're coming back. <laughs> so have you guys listened to the podcast before? We have. Yeah, we have a little bit. Yeah. Nice. Okay. So you may be familiar with a regular feature we have on the pod, which is called the pro tip insight of the week. So that, that is a, uh, you know, I'm going to turn to you at the end of the episode. I'm going to ask you to share your pro tip insight of the week. And that is a, a bit of advice, uh, some insight, uh, some kind of recommendation that is going to make our listeners next adventure out in the wild that much more memorable and epic. So don't be surprised when I, when I turn to you and ask you that question when we get to the end here. Sounds like a plan. Okay. Another thing we, we've started here is the must-bring gear review. And so I know that in your book, Elevation Gain, you have a couple of appendices in the back, and you talk about gear, the gear that you brought, and some gear recommendations. And so I want to put you on the spot right here, right at the beginning, and ask you, when you go out, what is your must-bring gear review? What is or your must-bring gear? What, uh, what do you have to have with you? And do you have a particular brand that you prefer over others? Well, I would say when we were training for the JMT, and we did the JMT in 2019, uh, I sort of discovered in Gingy Toe Socks and fell in love with them. Michelle does not like them. Um, but I think we both kind of grooved on the ultra – uh, Lone Peak trail running shoes. And so, I mean, I would definitely say that sort of foot combo. And then the other thing I would specifically say, like foot care that I did not take on the JMT that we did take on a hike this year uh, would be like, what's that ball called? It's called a yoga tune-up ball. It's a little, it's a soft, squishy massage ball that's made specifically for uh, rolling out your fascia. So great for your feet. I would say that, or at the very least, a tennis ball, if you got one of those laying around. It doesn't weigh very much. And if you actually take the time to roll out your feet at the end of every hiking day, holy smokes, it makes a difference, I believe. Yeah, I think that is an excellent recommendation. Uh, as our listeners know from my own experiences that I've shared in the past, if your feet are in pain on a hike, there is, there is nothing worse because that's all you can think about. Uh, when you're on the trail is just the, the poor condition of your feet. I made the transition from boots to trail runners and it made a world of difference. And I love the ultras. Those are fantastic. So great, yeah, great recommendation. Time. Yeah. Did you wear uh, did you wear insoles in your ultras? Like I special? did not. I have not. Is that a game changer? I, mo I modified mine. I took, you know, Oboes is pretty proud of their proprietary insoles and I cut off the sort of back three quarters or two thirds of it or something like that. And uh, 
taped it together, I guess you would say, with, with, the, with the toe box part of the Ultra. And so I call them my Frankensoles, and that helped quite a bit. Just, oh, I, didn't, I feel like I need a little bit of arch support that, that the factory insoles didn't give you. So. And it kind of depends on how much weight you got on your back. You got to pay attention to that, too. Like, I don't think you could wear Ultras with 40 pounds on your back and be happy for very long. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's, let's talk about gear since you brought it up. What, uh, what did your kit look like and you know, how much are you guys carrying? What was your base weight on the trail? Uh, I, you know, I, I weighed everything the day before we left our house and I think I had 42 pounds and Michelle had, I want to say 35. Yeah. Now that included, that included like two days of of sort of travel food. Michelle can't do gluten or dairy. And so when we travel, like we have to be extra careful. So we sort of brought travel snacks and, and food for our flight to Reno and our shuttle down. And then we spent a night at elevation. We, we hit the trail at Horseshoe Meadows. And so we had a couple of extra days food. I suppose when I hit the trail, I was below 40 pounds. And so, yeah, we had a, let's see, we had a tent was a Nemo Dagger 2P. Uh, we both kept our old sleeping bags that we've had for a hundred years. I have a Keltie. I have no idea what the, what the, the model is. I've had it for so long. It's been great. It's a 30 degree. Yours is a 20 degree Sierra design. Sierra design. Something, something. Mm-hmm. Osprey packs. Osprey packs. Nice. I saw a snout dip into the picture there. Do we have an extra guest in Iowa? Yeah, this is, us? A, this is Tucson. She's our yellow lab. That's, she's 10, and so she's very, uh, she's very accustomed to being nearby us. <laughs> so she's like, we're on the podcast today. Let's go. I'm up on the couch with you. <laughs> nice. There she is. Hi, Tucson. Can you say hi? <laughs> Look at Doc. Oh. Say hey to Doc. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> what a cutie what a cutie that's fantastic i have a dog in the background too uh, my wife just left to run some errands so he may he may get a little barky here in the background we'll see his name's peter he's, he's a little guy so. apologize in advance both ways okay very good very good all right hey you know i, I want to talk about how we met and that was you know, my, my usual way of, of scouting talent for the podcast here and that's look just looking at great Instagram feeds and, and finding people who are in the middle of adventures and reaching out to them and seeing if they'd be willing to share their adventure. And I found you, Jay, on an Instagram account called Pablo Fahrenheit Yeah, and, and uh, asked you if you'd be willing to come on and, and, and share your book that you've written and some of your adventures and, and you guys agreed. And so thank you very much for that. But I do have to ask, I know you directed me to, to take a look, but I didn't get a chance to. Uh, okay. what, is, what is the significance of Pablo Fahrenheit? Yeah, so if you, if you follow my Instagram feed, you know it's not all just backpacking photos. It's, it's probably more beer and, I don't know, tacos and smoking meat and whatnot. But, um, yeah, so I'd, I work in the beer business by day. Um, I've planned a lot of festivals and various events and stuff. But one of the main events that I've been doing for like five years, it's my own sort of, sort of personal baby is, uh, it's called the drinking pants pageant. Um, I started wearing goofy pants at, at bars and beer festivals and stuff like that a number of years ago. And I found it to be a really good way. Like I'm on one hand, I'm wild and crazy and extroverted. On the other hand, I'll sit here and just happily talk to the two of us if we went to a bar it'd just be you and me sitting in a corner quietly all night long but when I started wearing pants I started meeting people and 
and they, uh, I don't know. So we decided I was involved in helping to kind of grow and improve Des Moines Beer Week, celebrating the beer of Des Moines and Iowa in, in general. And uh, so we came up with the idea. I really just wanted to like promote this hashtag drinking pants just to be silly and have fun. So we, we rented a venue, we rented a catwalk, we encouraged all of our friends to show up and uh, do this pageant and everybody just wears the craziest pants they can and we meet each, each other. It's like the greatest icebreaker on the planet. And so we've been doing it for like five years. 20, 2020 was supposed to be like this great year for us. We were turning five and introducing our line of pants that we were selling, our Fahrenheit and Sons pants. But, so Pablo Fahrenheit is my stage name. Like and alter so, ego, you have a alter trail ego. name and a stage name. Yes, and a regular. And name. some people call me Jay. Yeah, <laughs> very good, Pablo Fahrenheit, the the stage name. And and how did you arrive at Pablo Fahrenheit? Um. Well, I I guess the second year we were doing the pageant, I started to refer my to myself as as Mr. Fahrenheit, which is really just taken from uh, the song by Queen. I'm a Freddie Mercury fan. Uh, we created the Drinking Pants Hall of Fame the second year of the pageant, and we inducted him and David Bowie and some others in the initial crowd. of. And so now we've got four classes. I think we have 16 people in the Drinking Pants uh, Hall of Fame right now. And uh, so I took Mr. Fahrenheit from Queen. Pablo, um, when, when our oldest son Jake was born, Michelle's like, you know, drugged up or worn out or whatever. And the nurse comes in with the paperwork here, name your kid. And I'm like, okay, uh, Pablo, it is or something, you know, and I didn't actually do that, but I was just trying to get a rise out of her. Um, but I always thought, oh, geez, we should have named him Pablo. That would have been great. So I just had Pablo in the back of my, in my back pocket and thought, instead of naming a kid that eventually I took it for the the stage came up and it's like, oh, now I have, I have friends that are professional wrestlers and like, how'd you come up with it? That's great. So, you know, if professional wrestlers are asking you about your name and you know, it's a good one. <laughs> now there, there is a lot to unpack right there. I've got some questions. <laughs> oh no. We're going down that <laughs> I'm road. Not your average backpacker. Sorry. Yeah, before, so. before we get to the trail, this is important information we need to cover here. So number mm-hmm. one, um, Drinking pants, outrageous pants, funny pants. I mean, what can you describe? What uh, what are what are some of the pairs of pants that that you've worn or that others have worn that have have broken the ice, as you say? Oh man, he's wearing some now. Oh my, yeah. <laughs> oh my. <laughs> Coconuts, coconut stripes, paisley. Um, yeah, I guess it's a podcast. If people at home didn't see that, uh, you know, polka dots, paisley stripes. Unicorns. I, sh- I shop in the women's department more than the men's department by far. <laughs> They're a little more fashionable, so I can understand. Totally, mm-hmm. yeah. Like yeah. women can wear cool pants on a Tuesday and just get complimented, and a guy goes to work on a Tuesday with, you know, stripes on. People looking at him like he's crazy. <laughs> now, Freddie Mercury and David Bowie have been inducted into the Drinking Pants Hall of Fame. What yes. What is the criteria, and how do I get that uh, that distinction? <laughs> Uh, you know, um, it's kind of a benevolent dictatorship. I really kind of just decide. I do ask like former pageant champions, um, some of my, you know, friends and helpers within, within the planning group of the pageant. Uh, but mostly it's just kind of this benevolent dictatorship where I honor the people that have influenced me. So, you know, this year we finally inducted Steven Tyler and last year we got David Lee Roth in there. 
Oh my gosh, these names! This is right up, right up my alley. Boxers and stuff, you know. But uh, what about the got, curling team? We got the, the yeah, we got the Norwegian curling team in last year. Uh, those guys had the loud mouth pants. Uh, who else? Somebody else. Oh, Nudie Cone. Yeah, uh, uh, Nudie, I was gonna say Nudie Cone, who designed all the suits, like you know, like Graham Parsons and the Flying Burrito Brothers, and all those crazy. Uh, tricked out suits and pants and stuff he did some Elvis stuff um so we we got him inducted Lady Miss Cure from Delight uh, if you remember her cat suit back mm-hmm. in the hard days yep um, actually it's been kind of cool like I exchanged emails with with Lady Miss Cure and she's a real person that'll hit reply very <laughs> cool so can I find the application online or the nomination form I want to nominate myself I'll wear uh, some crazy pants really well let me see some photos <laughs> far away um i caught you on the internet with the pants part but i'll be looking out for that now very good very good uh, <laughs> let me, let's talk about beer a little bit if you don't mind michelle if you can just bear with us a little bit you know, this is an important, important topic here so i'm used to it it's all right <laughs> okay very good so so jay and do you have a tra- do you have a trail name my my trail name is cheers che- oh that's right cheers i, work I saw in the that. beer industry i say cheers a lot i Everybody in the beer industry says cheers a lot, I think. And I all of a sudden it became even more noticeable. Like Michelle looks at me funny if we're at the grocery store and I tell a 15-year-old checkout girl cheers as I'm leaving. But it's like <laughs> so the thing that weird. pops out of your head. Yeah, I, I really that resonated with me. That's that's one of many things that resonated with me in your book because I did an interview with Keith Foskett, a uh, trail named Fozzie, who wrote The Last Englishman, a PCT memoir about his 2012 hike. And uh, he's English and he used cheers a whole lot. And I just, it, it stuck with me. And so now yeah. I sign off on all my communications with cheers. And so I thought that was, that was really cool. And then Michelle, what was your trail name? I, I, I read it last night and I can't, I can't remember exactly what it was. Yeah. Coconut. Coconut. That's right. Coconut. That's cheers and coconut. Very good. Okay. Cheers. Cheers. Like the bar in the, uh, in the, uh, yeah. The TV show about the bar in Boston. So yep. very appropriate. What do you have a, a preference for style of beer? Uh, you know, I like both kinds of beer, highfalutin and lowfalutin. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I like, I like stouts and porters a lot. I like Belgian beer a lot. I like good clean lagers. You know, I like a little bit of everything. Um, I'll drink an IPA. I know they're real popular. Um, I'll drink. I order a stout first. You know, I order a Belgian beer first. Very good. I'm an IPA guy, so. Good deal. Good stuff. Yep. A lot of good stuff out there. For sure. All right. So let's do a little background on on the two of you. How did did you two meet? Let's go way back. Yeah. So we met, we were actually like in in a college, like journalism class together on like the student newspaper. And my parents and Jay's grandparents were like back alley neighbors um, in this little tiny town in Iowa. So we met just as acquaintances in the the college newspaper room, you know, forever ago. And then Jay transferred to a different college. But when he would come back to visit his grandparents, we would just kind of say hello. And then one January, I don't know, probably close to, I don't know how many years ago, not quite 30, but long time ago. um, Yeah, we just kind of hit it off and the rest is history. 
we actually had our 25th wedding anniversary on the trail. You may have read that. I did read that. Congratulations. Yeah. So how did he ask you out for the first time? You know, it was really not like, it, it was like, do you want to go to this barbecue that my friend is having? So it was like, really just like a friend kind of thing, like this, you know, small town Iowa barbecue, not like a very, and it was really just kind of a friend thing, but yeah, anyway. It was a Sunday night. It was Sunday night barbecue would, with these Sunday nights, guys. we had this kind of tradition of just buying a steak <laughs> that we couldn't really afford. And, and instead of drinking, you know, 700 beers, we just have two or three beers and be sophisticated and have a steak and two beers and, or whatever. And I'd say, hey, come on along. Invite a girl over. Yeah. <laughs> I think it was the night before I was going back to school. Yeah, that sounds right. So Cheers was slow playing it and uh, the rest is history. The rest is yeah, history. worked out yep. well. <laughs> Very good. Do you have a good proposal story? <laughs> we talked about it on the phone. On yeah. We, April Fool's Day. Yeah. We had like this like long, no, we were in person on April Fool's Day, but we had been talking about it. Like we, we had, even though we knew each other, we had kind of a long distance relationship for the first, I don't know, five or six months. And so like all these, it was before cell phones really, yeah. you know, like all these long distance phone calls um, and yeah, we just, we both just knew. And so, yeah, we had like this phone call that were kind of like, what do you think about, I don't even know how we were. I remember the like, wording was something okay. like institutions. Yes. How institutions. do you feel about institutions? <laughs> you know, like marriage. <laughs> that was the combo. That was that. And that was like, oh, whoops. So the English, the English major was, uh, yeah, playing with. Yeah. Cheers. Uh, cheers. You romantic you talking about institutions <laughs> and all. I know barbecues and institutions really pulled me in. <laughs> uh, it, you know, it worked, right? So it worked. That's right. Yep. <laughs> Very good. So you mentioned uh, English major, and yeah. I think we talked a little bit about yoga. What 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 are your full time jobs? What are your regular jobs that help finance your your gear acquisitions and your hiking trips? I work in the beer industry. I've been working for the guild for um, the Iowa Brewers Guild for the last six years or so. And I actually just kind of transitioned out of there uh, sort of late summer and I'm in the midst of helping a startup go and I'm, I'm going to brew beer. I'm going to be the head brewer at a little brewery in Preston, Iowa. Ah, congratulations. I'm sort of transitioning, but I'm, I'm there. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, for a long time I worked in the nonprofit world um, nonprofit and government workforce related and did that for a long time. And then after my own like health and wellness challenges, um, I, you know, found a lot of ways that helped me to feel better and was so passionate about it that I wanted to, to go back to school, go back to nutrition school and, um, help other people. So I actually, well, I have a couple of things. I still work in the nonprofit world, um, part-time, and then I have my own business where I do wellness coaching and consultations, um, group coaching with people, wellness programs, and yeah, yoga. And what is your Instagram account? It's Radiant Wellness Solutions. Because soon after I reached out to uh, Jay on Pablo Fahrenheit, Pablo Fahrenheit started following the John Freaking Mirpod uh, Instagram account. And then shortly after, uh, oh, yeah. I got a, you, you followed me as well from that account. And I, I, I put two and two together and figured it was, it was, the, it was Jay's better half. So Yes, these, these Iowa people. <laughs> Very good. Now, now, where did you guys grow up? Did you guys grow up in Iowa? By and large, southwest Iowa. 
my stepdad was in the army, so I hit Texas and Tennessee for a little while, and you kind of bounced back and forth between Iowa and Arizona. Arizona. Yeah, my mom's family is all from, but yeah, mostly mostly Iowa. We both kind of lived in a couple different locations around, but but mostly Iowa. Yeah, not a lot of summits in Iowa. <laughs> yeah, I talked to Brittany Woodrum, uh, nickname or trail name Bert who as part of her COVID relief fundraising efforts, she climbed all 58 of Colorado's 14ers. And I imagine there's not too many 14ers in Iowa. Yeah, like none. <laughs> <laughs> now, were you guys only children or siblings? How did that, how did that look? I think it depends on how you count them for me. I, my parents divorced and then remarried and my mom had another and my dad had a couple, three more. And so... I grew up mostly in my mom's house, so I had a, you know, a, a half sister, I guess you'd call it. Yeah, Jay, or cheers! A lot of a lot of connections here because I I I share that same experience. I was an only child. Uh, parents got divorced. This is more John freaking Muir trivia, by the way. Uh, parents got divorced, and in the span of about a year and a half, two years, I had three step brothers on. Uh, one side and two stepsisters on the other side. So it went from, you know, just me to a whole lot of others uh, in yeah. a very short period of time. Yeah. How about you, Michelle? Yeah, I would say very similar. Um, I have a brother that's two and a half years younger than me. Um, I have a stepbrother and stepsister, and I have a brother and sister on my mom's side that are about 18 and 20 years younger than me. Um, so super fun and interesting family dynamics. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Sure. So how did, how did the two of you get introduced to the outdoors? Was this a childhood hobby? Did you guys go on backpacking trips uh, with, with your families or camping, car camping? You know, how did this all kind of arise? For me, it's mostly car camping, fishing and hiking, whether that was with my mom, whether that was with my dad or my, my grandfather on my mom's side. Um, not so much backpacking. And that all came a little later. But yeah, lots of outdoors activities. Yeah, yeah. Um, similar. Our family did more car camping. And as a kid, like we had, I remember we would go canoeing and um, boating. We had a boat. Um, my grandparents had a cabin up in the, the mountains above Tucson. And so we would do some hiking up there and just enjoying the outdoors. So uh, mostly car camping, some hiking, Girl Scouts, that kind of fun stuff. Okay. Right. Girl Scouts. Now, I always like to talk to our, our uh, guests and find out when was that moment, if you can remember the moment where the whole concept of putting everything on your back that you're going to need and departing on a trailhead and being out there for days, sometimes weeks at a time, uh, you know, out in the dirt, roughing it, uh, foot pain, all kinds of hardship, uh, just to be able to experience those moments of of extreme beauty and glory and exaltation out there do you remember when that conversation entered your life when when you decided hey it would be a good idea to go backpacking yeah probably two different things i feel like i know what yours is but i know what okay (laughs) yeah i think he he got hit the bug like cut the bug before i did i mean i loved being outside um but i you know, we had done a, sh- some sh- a short little backpacking trip out in Colorado with Jay's uncle, just a, just kind of a quick overnighter, um, Rocky Mountain National Park. And that was great. But we had our, our boys were like junior high age with external frames. And it was kind of miserable for them and therefore miserable for their mother. Um, but 
I think for me, like I, we love the documentary mile, mile and a half. And I think when I, I watched that and just thought like, I think we can do this. Like, I think, I think we could do this too. So for me, that was my moment where I thought backpacking might actually be something that I would enjoy. Even though like I did cross country running in high school and, you know, liked being outside and liked hiking. I never really saw thought backpacking was, you know, I don't know if I thought the, was intimidated by the idea of like getting all the gear, like that seemed like a big deal to figure out all the gear you needed. But mile, mile and a half was the moment for me. Nice. Yeah. So for me, it would be flashback a few years. Um, we had been married for a few, couple of years anyway. We, so I taught English on the Navajo reservation for a couple of years, right out of college. We were able to hike and, 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 explore all over the place out there and that was a whole lot of fun we moved to to north carolina took a job working in a group home uh working direct care as teaching parents which we did for like four and a half years and then kind of eventually moved into other roles uh when we first moved there we went up to the office the administrative office to kind of get shown around and uh our new co-worker uh karen had an appalachian trail map uh, going up and down her file cabinet. Her son Ross was through hiking uh, the AT that year. And I was like, whoa. And so every time that we go up to drop off paperwork or, you know, make copies or whatever at the, at the, at the central office, I would check Ross's progress and see where he was. And I was like, I want to do that. But I had, <laughs> I was working in social work, so they don't make good money. Uh, we had like a what one six month one year one year old kid at that time with another uh, sort of planned and 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 or possibly on the way I don't remember exactly and it just seemed like pretty bad to, uh, oh I don't have six months to 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 go goof off like that so um, it was always kind of uh, you know this great idea that was in the back of the mind there but there was never a really good time and so it really we just kind of like bit the bullet when. Uh, you know, we saw a mile, mile and a half. Our boys were still in high school, but we kind of looked at each other and were like, aha, when these guys are gone, that, then that is what we'll do. And so at this point, I don't really care about doing the AT at all, but boy, I wanted to do that. And uh, three month, uh, three weeks, yeah, I can pull that off for sure. So that would have been like when, when you first got the bug would have been like 1998. Right. That would have been 1998 to like put that in perspective. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Got it. Yep. My, we've talked about mile, mile and a half on this uh, podcast before. Great, great documentary. Yeah. Uh, inspiration for a lot of people out there. And we watched it several times leading up to our 2015 trek. So uh, yeah. fantastic resource. But Jay, I also want to tell you that we are, I feel like we're kindred spirits because I was also an English teacher for, uh, for a part of my career. I heard that. I heard that on one of your recent interviews that you mentioned that. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. The yeah. trivia came back to me now. <laughs> <laughs> and how old are your son? You have two sons and how old are they now? 24 and 21. That's how old they are. <laughs> and you guys are empty nesters now. We are. We are. Except for Tucson. Except for Tucson. Well, Tucson yeah, and dog. Right. That's right. <laughs> and what did you do with Tucson when you guys went on your hike? Our oldest son took care of her. Okay. Yeah, so she just, she got a, like a little three-week stay at Uncle Jake's house. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
Now you, you, we're going to talk about your, your, your uh, adventure on the JMT. We're going to talk about your book here in a little bit, but uh, you mentioned the AT, any, any desire uh, to pursue a longer trail than, than the JMT? We talk about this once in a while. I don't have a huge desire to do, I, I don't, well, I, I'm not opposed to doing it, but the idea of sort of high, hopping off trail and hitchhiking to some little town to get like crappy food at a, at a convenience store, like that does not appeal to me. I just want to get out there and be out away from everybody. So like the, the toughest part of the whole JMT thing, I thought was just like the logistics of getting from our house to the trailhead. Once we were on the trail, life was good. It was all that other stuff. And so like the idea of hopping off and getting a resupply or worse, buying groceries at a, at a convenience store or a small town grocery, that does not sound like fun to me. And so to do that for six months straight, I don't know. If I want to go to a small town grocery store, I'll stay here. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. But I mean, I don't know. If I won the lottery, which I don't play, I'd have plenty of time to, to take long vacations. And in that case, uh, well, sure, I'd do it. Michelle, any appeal? Yeah, you know, we were just talking about this yesterday. Um, and you know, like, which, which of the Triple Crown would you want to hike if you could? And we both like were saying like, well, if we wanted to hike one, we would, both of us independently chose PCT. Yeah. I think that's a good choice. We've had some folks on here who have shared their PCT experiences. I think the interview you were referring to, or the episode you were referring to was with uh, Barney Scout Man, yeah, and, uh, yeah, yeah. Journeys yeah. North. Um, I have a, you know, just after reading that book, if you haven't read the book, please read the book because it gives you a really good sense of what the PCT is all about. Um, just the varied uh, ecosystems and uh, the fact that it goes through the Sierras. I mean, it's... Uh-huh. If, if I had a choice, if I had an opportunity to do one long trail, that would probably be the one as, as well. All right. Yeah, yeah. It's terribly beautiful out there. We had a good time living in North Carolina. We spent a lot of times in the mountains of North Carolina hiking. Um, but yeah, that this sort of long green tunnel, you know, I don't, that's, I'm not too worried about that, but yeah, it would be fun to do for sure. So we'll see what happens. We've okay. got some that's some hikes we want to do that aren't nearly that long, but we'll see what happens. Okay. Well, I need a promise out of you that after you do the PCT and you write your, uh, your trail memoir that you come back on and, and talk about it with us. Oh, well, that's an easy thing to, it's an easier thing to agree to that interview than it is to do the hike and write another book, but we'll see what happens. <laughs> we'll right. Very good. And I was going to ask you about this and you brought it up logistics. You know, not all of our listeners are as blessed as I am to be, live just within a couple hours of the Sierras. And if they're planning on doing a, a hike in the Sierras or doing the JMT, I mean, there are some serious logistics involved in getting here. And so what did that look like for you guys coming from Iowa? Yeah. We flew to Reno, took the, took the shuttle down to Lone Pine spent a night in a hostel, which we really didn't plan on, but I think I sort of forgot that the shuttle was like five or six hours. And by the time we got <laughs> to Lone Pine, it was kind of late to get out to, what is it, Alabama Hills or managed to get to Horseshoe. Um, so we wound up staying in a, a, a hostel and then, I guess, hitchhiked, hitchhiked <clears throat> to get to the trail the next morning, went out and got our pass and then hitchhiked and Rooster picked us up. 
and uh, Rooster appears a couple of times in the book. And then the, uh, after we finished the hike, we actually, uh, we took the bus to Merced and got on a train. We went to Sacramento and then we hopped on the California Zephyr and we rode the train from Sacramento to 20 miles from our house. And uh, so we took a 48 hour train ride to get home thinking that it would be a good idea to slowly re-engage the normal world, which was a great idea. It was the best way to re-enter, seriously. (laughs) I couldn't imagine getting into an air, going into an airport after getting off the trail. Yosemite Valley was busy enough for me, like getting in, going to an airport. Oh no. So the train was fun. The train was a nice, easy slide back into normal life, whatever that is. Wow, that, that, that borders on being a pro tip inside of the week right there. Ah, yeah. Yeah, we totally would do the train again. For sure. Yeah. In fact, I thought about if I'd have had more time off, I would have just got right back on the train, gone straight back to uh, Sacramento, and just written for two days out and two days back, four days on the train, laptop and just writing that would be a great writing trip so write, go write your book that way nice nice (laughs) now we're going to get into the nitty-gritty of the trail here and your your book elevation gain but we're going to take a quick break um and when we come back we'll get into those details so stay tuned we'll be right back I'm Jay Wilson, author of Elevation Game, Life Lessons Above the Tree Line, and you're listening to the John Freakin' Muir Pod. Welcome back. We're talking to Cheers and Coconut about their 2019 JMT thru-hike and the resulting memoir that Jay has written, or Cheers has written, called Elevation Gain. So, Cheers, tell us a little bit about uh, the impetus for writing Elevation Game. What did, what did you hope to do? Have you always wanted to uh, write? Has that been a big part of your, your world? And what do you want people to get out of the book, Elevation Game? Yeah, you know, we, we talked about the whole English major thing. I've actually written a couple of other books. So it's not like it's the first time um, I've, I've gone that route. I think this book specifically was... I mean, you're always kind of on the hunt for a good story to tell. And, I, and I've also uh, spent some time doing journalism. I spent five and a half years as a journalist full time. Um, so I've done a lot of writing. I, um, in my research to get prepared for the JMT, I spent a lot of time on YouTube like everybody does. Uh, I read a lot of books and blogs and gear reviews and stuff like that, but a lot of time on, on YouTube. And I thought it would be kind of fun. I mean, I take mostly still shots, but I thought it'd be fun to put together a video and sort of like, I don't want to say give back in that way, but like have another perspective out there. And so I was kind of thinking that I would do that. But I also know that I'm more of a still photographer than I just don't get around to shooting video. And um, while I did a fair amount of that, it occurred to me, why am I fiddling around with stewing about whether I will or won't like blow taking enough footage when I could just write a book, like that's what I do. And so then I just kind of shifted gears like, okay, yeah, that would be a great idea. This sounds like a really good story. This, we'll see what happens. You know, I don't know what's going to be like yet, you know, 
uh, one of us could break a leg or have to get airlifted out or it could be completely smooth or whatever. So as I was prepping for the trail, I started to just write background information and kind of prep for the first couple of chapters that sort of set the whole thing up. And then we had to take the hike to, to see what happens. And uh, I, I was on the trail for a couple of days before I figured out how I wanted to construct it. But what I knew I didn't want to do was I didn't want to have it just be like another chronological telling of, of the trail, whether that's YouTube or a book or a blog. I didn't want it to just be, you know, day one, day two, day three, quite like that. So I kind of set it up more like the background stuff, which I mentioned. And then I have basically two days or two chapters in the book, chapter three and chapter five take, oh, I don't know, most of our hike, probably from about, about day four to the completion on day 17 to, it hurls us down, down the trail day by day by day, but it's more chapter three is a day in the life of a through hiker. What does that day look like? And chapter five, you know, was kind of meant to be what kind of person is a through hiker? You know, we're the kind of people who don't take baths every day. We're the kind of people that dig a hole and go poop in it every day. Um, and so, and the other little mundane tasks and whatnot. So, and then I took a chapter to talk about what was in my head. I took the, you know, and then some of the after, you know, thoughts. There's sort of social commentary mm -hmm. uh, about the state of things now and before and after. I, it was hard to come back. What do you want? Uh, what do I want people to get out of it? I want people to go out there and uh, if not that trail, some trail. And if it's just a two mile hike, that's five miles from your house, go do a two mile hike. That's five miles from your house because it's a beautiful thing to do. You don't have to do 250. You don't have to do 2000 to have a good time and have nature impact you. So I don't care how long your hike is. Just go take one. Yeah, that's a common theme that a lot of our guests talk about is the impact of the trail and, you know, who they were before and who they were after and what they learned about themselves. Some big questions and big topics there. What, uh, what did you guys discover about yourselves on the trail? You want me to go? Go for it. I keep talking. <laughs> you know, I think we both had kind of different motivations and different uh, things that inspire us on the trail. For me, it was um, a really empowering experience um, because I hadn't done anything like that, that physically challenging before. I've had like multiple knee surgeries and I, I, I had to really overcome like a lot of fear in going like all of these what ifs, which Jay writes about in the book, um, took some excerpts from my journal um, to use in the book. But like I had all these fears of like, I just had opened up my yoga studio um, like less than a year before and was like, oh my gosh, how can I leave my business for three weeks? Like, is this crazy? And, you know, a lot of people would be like, oh, you're going to be with your husband on the trail for three weeks. Like that just sounds like horrible. Um, so I had these like, what seemed like irrational fears now saying them out loud. But at the time, like my head was like exploding with, um, with a lot of the fears. And there was a part of me that wanted to go. And there was a part of me that was secretly hoping like, maybe we'll just like let this go for another year. Like maybe he'll like get it out of his system or something because it won't push my comfort zone, you know? Um, so for me, it just felt really empowering to, to do the trail. 
Um, you know, the partnership that we had was really just awesome. It was one of my favorite things about it. Just like we were like this well-oiled machine out there. We didn't really have any moments that were like, I don't know. I had one moment where, I don't know, there were a lot of mosquitoes, you know, and there were mosquitoes and he was trying to help get a mosquito off the back of my leg with his trekking pole. And I did not appreciate that. But I remember just being like, oh, if I say something, it's going to come out really wrong right now. Um, so we just kept hiking. But like that was the one moment in like 250 miles that things got a little just like potentially dicey. And I don't even know if you remember that moment or not. Yeah, no, I remember that moment. <laughs> but yeah. Well, the thing is, I hike faster than Michelle anyway. But a little ways down the trail, we realized that it would be a lot more efficient if she hiked in front. And, and I hiked behind because if I hike in front, I get going too fast. Then I stop and wait for her to catch up. And then we take a break because I've already had a break, but she deserves a break. And then, you know, I just like the break got really long and inefficient. And then we'd be hanging out at the side and not moving. So if she was going fr in front, we took far fewer breaks. We stopped at the exact same time. We were ready to go at the exact same time. So it was a lot better for me to hike from behind. And so I, but I had a hard time not stepping on her back of the feet. And <laughs> it's like a kid, a kid with, with, with those little small grocery carts at the grocery right, store. Right, I you was know? the kid with the grocery <laughs> cart. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, a couple things. One is that if you guys survive a 250 mile hike together, uh, you guys are forever. That, that's uh, you, right. you, you, there's no Amazing. hiding. There's no hiding on the trail. I mean, everything, everything is, is uh, an open book. You can't, yeah. you can't hide it for 250 miles, uh, over the course of how many, how many weeks and, 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 you know, 24 hours a day, you guys right. know who each other are and you guys are happy with that. You guys are forever. So congratulations. Right. That. Yeah. The other thing is, is, is as I was reading your book, there were so many parts that resonated with my own experience and it was just, uh, it was really joyful to read because, okay. It was like, there are others who, who go through that same thought process or same procedure or uh, same conversations that, that we did as we were preparing for the hike and, and, and doing the hike. Uh, just as some examples, I'm going to pull from the book. Uh, the book opens up and you guys are heading up to Whitney and you're measuring your progress on these switchbacks against how high you are in comparison to Mount Hitchcock across the way. That's exactly what was going through my head as, as I was working my way up those, those switchbacks. I'd stop yeah, and I'd look nice. and say, okay, I'm a bit higher uh, as I can see across the way there uh, with Mount Hitchcock. So that was, that was so cool. Um, the way you guys approached passes and the way you guys structured where you guys camped, you camped, you know, where, so that the following day you would get up and over the pass fairly quickly. Uh, and during the early part of the day, when you guys were fresh and strong, that was our same approach as well. Yeah. That's probably, you know, we, we picked that up on, you know, the various trail blogs and videos. Yeah, thanks YouTube. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, the fact that you kind of planned everything out in advance and you had, okay, I'm going to camp here and I'm going to camp here. I'm going to camp here. And then you get on the trail and you realize, Oh my gosh, that's not going to work out. I've got to make adjustments on the fly and understanding that it's, it's, it's not going to go all according to plan and you have to be flexible in that regard. I think that's also a, a theme that really resonated with me. Yeah. Uh, your whole thing about um, 
the, the, the conversation about, well, it's the only thing we have to do today is walk. All we have to do is hike. <laughs> I mean, we, I can't tell you how many times I said that to the, the two guys that I, I hiked with uh, leading up to the hike. You know, we have to go 15 miles. We have to go 19 miles. Well, we're just walking, right? It's, that's all we have to do is walk. So it was really, it was really fun to see that conversation kind of take place in, in somebody else's group. So, yep. <laughs> yeah. and I, I really appreciate all of the insight into just the routines of backpacking, you know, getting into camp and setting up and what it means to, you know, get up in the morning and break camp and, you know, the rest breaks and how long those would seem to drag on at times and kind of making adjustments and the, you know, who, what is the hiking order? Is it you put your fastest person in front or you put your slowest person in front? And these are all, all similar things, all similar conversations that we've had. So I really uh, enjoyed reading the book. It was great. Cool. I appreciate that. That's good to hear. So what, what, let's talk about some of your adventures from the trail. What, uh, what were some of the, the big highlights for you on the JMT and what, what, uh, what'd you take away from it? Highlights. Oh, well, you mentioned um, campsites. I would say that a couple of the most beautiful places I've ever been and certainly ever camped would be, um, and of course we're, so we're going northbound. We, uh, we, we camped at the highest Tyndall Creek crossing just below Forrester. And that was a terribly beautiful place. And then Upper Basin, just below Mather Pass on the south side. Those places, I mean, and Matt, the Upper Basin, we were completely by ourselves. I mean, there wasn't a soul around for, for miles and miles and miles. And that, that view to the south is absurd. It's so beautiful. So I would say those are a couple of like visual highlights for me. Yeah, sure. agreed. Those are those are really beautiful spots. And Mirror Pass. My favorite day on the on the trail was like the day we took Mirror Pass, which was a little bit different. We didn't summit or we didn't hit the pass real early in the day. We had three or four miles of hiking to do to get there, but that whole day was cool. Beautiful in a slightly different way. Um, just there was there was some snow and some water on the trail, and so some route finding and stuff. That was really beautiful. That's a highlight day. I thought that was really cool. Sorry, I stepped on you, but I just kept talking. No, that's okay. That's okay. Feel free to do that. I, I was just going to weigh in and say that uh, both of those spots that you had mentioned with um, just below Forrester and just below Mather, um, we actually experienced those going southbound. But uh, I remember coming over those passes and seeing um, what you're talking about, seeing those, those vistas and uh, just absolutely gorgeous. And, you know, I'm sure my, my listeners are, are sick of hearing me say this, but you, you come back from these hikes and you're so excited because of what you've seen and what you've done. And you try and explain it to other people and you, you show them the pictures and the pictures do not do it justice whatsoever. Yeah. I mean, yeah. They, they, everything's just a little bit, you know, flatter i guess in the picture it's not you don't get the perspective and uh, it it just doesn't translate um i had a hard time coming back and and one one of the things coming back people would say so how was your trip you know and i would say well did you see the photos i added you know on facebook there and oh yeah it was really beautiful i was like okay so a picture is worth a thousand words these are million word places and so that picture, those pictures were lousy. 
And I, I don't even know what to tell. I didn't know. I, I couldn't. I, I wasn't really effervescent with my speech. I didn't know what to say. And Michelle would call me rude a couple of times because, like, I, I'm like, I don't know. And they're like, what are you going to do next? I'm like, I don't need to one-up myself. Like, I just did, like, the cool. I don't need to do 2,000 miles to feel better about myself than this. Like, I couldn't talk about I couldn't talk about it because it was a million weird place. And I only had a thousand and they were on a photograph, you know. That is an excellent description. You know, a picture is worth a thousand words and these are million word places that I, I don't know how you obviously are a writer because that, that sums it up. I don't know how you could describe it any better than that. Well then, and so then just like take that the deep sorrow of like, now I'm not there and now I'm in Southwest Iowa and none of these people get me or what, you know, I mean, I, I had a hard time coming back. I, I would this time last year, I had no motivation to do anything. I was fully depressed. <laughs> but the coolest thing I ever did blew it up for me. Yeah. yeah I think that is also a, a common experience, a theme that resonates with a lot of people is you get back and you know, you're not out there anymore and you're, you've gone from the single purpose of walking and finding the next campsite and eating and, and, you know, filtering water and sleeping. I mean, that's, that's pretty much trail life right there. And now you've come back to the complexity of civilized life and alarms and appointments and meetings and everything else that goes with that. And it is just so different. And there is a literal depression that, that falls over people when they come back. Yeah. So I wanted to, I, I made it a point to talk about that. You know, I think that's the kind of thing that people should talk about. And so I made it a point to write about that. I wanted to write about pooping on the trail and I wanted to, write about feeling like poop after the trail, you know, um, and whatever else doesn't get mentioned. I don't think I had ever heard about like post trail depression until after we got back and we're having these discussions. Like I, that had not like crossed in and he did more research to prep than I did. Um, I'm a lot more into following different hikers and things now and podcasts than I was before, but like that was not in my, in my awareness at all until now. And was it a, was it a real thing for you when you got back? For me? Yes. Um, probably not as bad as Jay. Um, <laughs> sounds bad. Not as bad as Jay. Um, well, I had, so, I mean, so I think he writes about this in the book, but I traditionally have had some challenges with depression and anxiety. So it was kind of something that I was, I'm always like on the lookout for and kind of trying to be proactive with. And for me, like walking and being in nature, um, yoga, breathing, all of those things are parts of my life that help me to be my best self to kind of stave that off. But I, I was in kind of, I don't know, I'm not a stupor, but I was, I was in that this weird transition zone for about nine days or so when we got back. It was just kind of like, it felt really jarring, even though we took the Amtrak nice and slow, it did feel really jarring to come back and yeah, just all the things that you mentioned, doc, just all, all of those things, just like everyday life. And then what, what is, what is meaning? What is purpose now? And um, yeah, it, it, it took, I think he writes about this in the book too, but I had a couple like friends and clients that had some like really life altering things happen. Like I was kind of around my house, like listening to a podcast doing just kind of whatever, just, you know, 
trying to let go through the motions. And then I, I had three specific kind of more tragic events that happened with friends or students. And it really shook me awake. I was like, what is second? Like this, I am wallowing here <laughs> about coming back from this beautiful trek. And I have people that are literally facing life and death. And so those specific instances like kind of shook me back awake and like, okay, we're here. Let's do what we need to do. And, you know, we'll be all right. Nice. Now, cheers. You mentioned uh, a couple of times, so I'm going to go back to it. Uh, writing about trail life and the nitty gritty. And you mentioned a couple of times, you know, pooping on the trail. And I think that is, is one of the big fears out there for first time through hikers or section hikers is, you know, oh my gosh, I've got to, this, this is going to be a huge difference from, you know, the way I usually operate. I'm going to have to poop on the trail and, and, and uh, uh-huh. how, what were your, do you have apprehension ahead of time? And how did you guys overcome that? And tell us about how you write about it in the book. Well, I, I mean, I had pooped outside before. <laughs> I mean, it's not like it was my first time. Um, but, you know, every day on the trail, once you've got that that one thing to do every day ticked off your list, you know, it's a burden lifted, you know. Um, like, yeah, we, yeah. The chapter where, you know, I talk about what kind of hikers, you know, hikers the way we are or whatever, you know, we talk about poop a lot, you know, or I don't know. How do I write about it? I don't remember. (laughs) Um, I will tell you that the most, I I had to poop on Mount Whitney. And so um, this is like a bummer. (laughs) So this is the wag bag territory where, you know, you couldn't dig a hole if you wanted to, and you're not supposed to because there's such traffic up there. And so you got to carry a wag bag, which to my great surprise was like a pretty good sized garbage bag. I mean, I pictured, if I needed to use a wag bag, which I hoped I didn't, you know, I figured it was going to be like a tiny little, you know, one quarter Ziploc or something, but it was like pooping into a full blown, you know, giant. So that, that you, was, you're, you're afraid you're got to, you have to be uh, pretty precise with your, your, Oh gosh. Skills. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, good aimer. Uh, so that, yeah. So you don't <laughs> have to be a real good aimer. Um, it turns out, but it was the most beautiful play. I took a photo. I snapped a shot while I was squatting because it's like, wow, I'm not going to ever poop in a better spot than this right now. But the funny thing was it sort of hit me all of a sudden we were, we were descending Whitney. We were, um, coming down, but we weren't to trail pass yet. And so, you know, there's some zigzag, there's some, there's some, uh, and there's a lot of traffic. And so, you know, I was like, whoop, I gotta go. And so I just kind of like jaunted up, you know, to try to find a rock. And I think I find myself a spot. I look over and there's somebody walking across, you know, not 10 feet from me on the trail. Like, ah, with the switchbacks. Yeah. Like, oh, it's really good. So, you know, I ran up, you know, darting you know sprinting up mount whitney because i've really got an emergency here and i think i i don't know i feel like it was like three different sprints up and up and up before i got to a spot where i didn't look over and see a person have a really good view did my job took a photo carried it to muir trail ranch and sure and yeah we we actually (laughs) Only in our whole time out there, we crossed paths with a ranger one time. It was at that uh, just south of Forester Pass where we were camped. And we were kind of talking to him about, I don't know, apparently about poop. Um, <laughs> our our, our uh, 
toilet paper bags were sitting out and I had duct taped the exterior. So they look, you know, they you weren't looking at, you know, ugly looking things. And we asked him specifically about, so what's, cause there wasn't a place to put it, you know? So we carried that. Like, you know, what are you supposed to do with your rag bag yeah. once you're done with it? Like, we carried that carry five it. pounder, you know, that was, you know, yeah. For 75 was, uh, miles or 75 long it was. <laughs> miles. Uh, yeah. yeah. Technical question. Because it was, because it was once part of you, is it considered extra weight or not? <laughs> I feel like it was really heavy. <laughs> it was a relief to get rid of it. Let's put it that way. Well, you know, you're right. We, we do talk about uh, bodily functions a lot on the trail. And in keeping with that, I'll share a story as well. Uh, where you ran into the emergency, there is a campsite up there just below the the uh, the Mount Whitney Trail sign. You know where it says 1.9 miles to Mount Whitney. Yep. So there yep. is a, a campsite up there. There's probably six enough room for six campers, and it's a dry campsite. Obviously, there's no water up there. You have to bring your own water up. But uh, my son and I, when we did the southern half of the JMT, we we kind of sprinted up sprint sprint. It wasn't really a sprint. We, we kind of hustled up there as, as best we could to secure a campsite at that location we had heard about. And we're, we're lucky enough to get up there and, and uh, get a space. But let me tell you, the next morning, as everybody is doing the trek up for the sunset uh, sunrise summit of Mount Whitney, you get up in the morning, you got to go number one. There, there's no place to hide there. There's not a lot of uh, uh, place to, to for privacy. So that was a little bit awkward as everybody is trudging by and you're, you're trying to fig- figure out, okay, what am I going to do here? So well, I got a rural Iowa trick for you if you'd like. Okay. Let's hear it. <laughs> well, here's what you do. I grew up in Iowa oh drinking beer, you know, youngsters as youngsters will do. You would just pull over on the side of the road and, and rather than look like you're peeing at the side of the road, which there's no disguising that if somebody's peeing at the side of the road, you know, they're being at the side of the road. So we would just, we would just go clear off away from the car. Um, you just point up at like you're looking at a star, you know, like you're looking at, a, you know, something beautiful or off in the di- point off in the distance and just pee. And it just looks like you're pointing out something cool in the distance to your friends. And if the car drives by, they're, they're just, hey, what is there a deer? You know, they're just like looking. It's a great trick. Another pro tip. Right that's, that's, that's two pro tips already. Fantastic. You're welcome. <laughs> Worth what you paid for. That's right. That's right. Very good. I had a, another, another story. I lost it though with your, with your pro tip there. You threw me off my game. So. <laughs> See, um, so here's the thing. Like, I'm not sure actually how well that works. It works like, great. I feel like it looks ridiculous. You personally. know what's happening. <laughs> there yeah. To you. They're looking for a deer. They're like, whoa, what's over there? Try it out and report back. Okay, we'll do. I think yeah, we've all, I think we've all had the moment though where we have picked a place, and we we have thought that it's a good place, and then we we kind of uh, look over our shoulder or or yeah. you know and realize oh, the trail changes direction and it's you know it's ten feet away like you said. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Poor guy. We we went with. Uh, a former professional athlete. He was a major league baseball pitcher at uh, one time in his career. And he, he's big strapping guy, six foot four, six foot five, uh, had a huge pack. We tried to tell him, Hey, don't, don't bring all that stuff. You're not going to need all that stuff. Oh no, I, I'm a big guy. I can, I can handle it. 
but he he ran into altitude sickness the uh, one of the first days we were out there and we were on the side of a trail and he his stomach was upset and there was nowhere to hide and you know there's a lone tree off of the side of the trail that he kind of was uh, behind and as he's there you know I, there's a, a mom and her son walking up the trail and I kind of gave him the the alert and he had to pull himself together real quick and act normal and then you know the, the mom and the son then decided to walk, you know, 30 feet past us and then take their own break there for five or 10 minutes. And meanwhile, he was in complete agony waiting for them to, to leave the vicinity. Oh, no. Painful. Oh, yeah. It, his trail name became Skids. Oh, shoot. <laughs> That'll stick with you. Um, so you did talk about doing your research ahead of time. Did you find a particular uh, YouTube channel or website that was uh, most helpful or more helpful than the others in, in preparing for your trip? Hmm. You know, I probably did, but you know, none of those really come like what I like sort of continue to follow up and watch right now isn't necessarily just exactly those I don't suppose I remember watching this uh well I, I probably watched some of the like gear videos and that kind of information from Darwin uh Darwin on the trail I think is what it is um there's this Bigfoot guy actually it seems like there's probably more than one Bigfoot guy but um it had some info that I you know I got some gear vid intel from that was pretty helpful you watched like I can't hike 55 Oh yeah, that, a few um, times. yeah. Uh, what's that guy's name? John. I can't hike fifty-five. I think is his name. Um, he uses a lot of hair metal, probably the unpaid for music in his videos, or did there for a while. I've watched any of those videos for a while. I can't hike fifty-five. I'll have to check that out. He sent some pretty cool, nice, well, well, well put together videos. What I'm watching right now, and they're putting out sort of episodically, I have sort of two things. One, I really just discovered this past weekend um, was this, I don't know, sort of like silent, he's calling them like silent hikes or something like that, but he's a professional filmmaker and he's going on these beautiful, well-shot hikes. His name is Craig Adams. Uh, I don't know if you've seen any of his stuff, but they're really, really beautiful Quiet, well shot, um, just, you know, nice ambient music for, you know, not like talking into the camera constantly while you're walking that can get kind of, it works sometimes, but it doesn't always work. And it just kind of depends on the person, the personality, and maybe how well it's shot and stuff. But this guy's making really beautiful films. And then, then he's been tagging on a little bit of a how-to or what his trip looked like. So I've been kind of enjoying his stuff, but uh, have you did last year also uh, 2019, the Hetch brothers um, drain the Hetch. There are these three crazy pot smoking brothers that they've been putting out an episodic thing. I think they've got maybe 16 days worth that are up at this point. It's just, it's hilarious, but it's a fresh perspective. So this Craig Adams and the Hetch brothers are complete opposites, but I've been enjoying watching their stuff. Interesting. I follow an Instagram account called drain the Hetch and yeah, that'd be it, that. yeah. I'm going to have to check that out. Okay. Go to YouTube and watch their videos and just start okay. and follow them. It's hilarious. 
I mean, they add like sound effects. Like if you like trip over a rock, they have like a sound effect that's like doink. And it's just, it's kind of silly. Um, it does not take itself too seriously, which is kind of nice because sometimes even an amateur JMT filmmaker is trying to like make a great thing. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. But this, these guys have editing skills. It's uh, one of the brothers that seems to be doing mostly editing and he's talented, but it's goofy. But they, like, they went northbound, and so did we, and they were, we were only off by about a week or so, we figured. They took longer than we did, and they, you know, they t- went to BVR, and we did not, so there were a few differences, and I think they went over Kearsarge Pass to resupply, um, so we had a few differences, but it was really fun to see, like, we, I think we were there, were we a week before them or after them? I think we were ahead of them. I think we were a week ahead of them. We didn't know them, of course, at the time. We don't know them now, but, you know, it's kind of fun to be like, yes, it, I was that exact same place, and it looked exactly like that. It was you know, it feels like we're hiking the trail again a little bit. Nice. Yeah. Okay. Hey, we're, we're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we're going to get a little bit into uh, maybe some uh-oh moments on the trail, um, some gear do's and don'ts, and talk about trail food and how do you, what are the trail food options when uh, you are uh, gluten, you have a gluten allergy. So uh, stay tuned for that. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Nate Woodruff from Whiskey with a View, and you are listening to the John Freakin' Mirror Pod. Welcome back. We're talking to Cheers and Coconut about their uh, 2019 JMT hike and uh, Cheers' Cheers's book, Elevation Gain. And we want to talk, talk a little bit about maybe some uh-oh moments on the trail. Did you have any moments on the trail where you thought, oh, my gosh, what am I doing here? Um, how much is it going to cost to, to fly me out of here or, or get on a mule train? Or were there any scary moments where there was uh, an injury or almost an injury or something like that? I don't, I don't think we had any, like, I never had a moment where I'm like, oh, what am I doing here? This was a terrible idea. I never felt like that at all. I had knee pain that I did not plan for. Uh, we had we had one knee brace, which I, I told Michelle, if you don't carry that, I'm carrying that for you. She's had a couple of knee surgeries. And so you I need to take it. it. Um, <laughs> and I guess you did carry it because you listened to reason. Uh, but I swear I, I wound up wearing her knee brace more than she did. We traded that thing back and forth, as I say in the book, like a dirty needle. Uh, but um, apart from that, I wouldn't say too much. Uh, the only like mishaps I can think of were like signs that were missing that put us off, you know, like at Ray Lakes, there was a, there was a, a sign that was twisted just so, and it said JMT that way. So we went that way and all of a sudden we were, you know, out towards 60 lakes um, what i don't know we probably went three quarters of a mile out of our way or something like that so we had to kind of most of our screw-ups were signage related because of people nothing mean about the trail itself not too much when you say because of people what do you mean by that people moving the sign or stealing <laughs> Well, uh, at Devil's Post Pile, there was actually like a sign that was missing. missing. So we went, didn't like went around Devil's Post Pile and we're like, well, we'll just hit the trail up here. And then like, 
we never did. It took forever. I don't know how many miles we went off track at Devil's Post Pile. Yeah. And then eventually we came back around and we're like, oh, that's where the there sign be a was. Sign right and there. there was right, a post, you know, but no sign. <laughs> and there was a post, but no sign on it. Yeah, that was annoying. Yeah, frustrating. I read, I read, I remember both those parts very vividly from your book, and and thinking, oh man, you, you hate to go down a wrong trail. Yeah. Um, and but you ran into somebody who who made an even bigger mistake than you did on that that particular part of the trail by Ray Lakes, where the Ray Lakes spot. We personally talked to three different, I mean, ourselves and two other groups that had trouble, and one was a group from Australia that had they saw that we were looking at the sign and cussing we had just got back to it and they said, did you go the wrong way? And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, we did too. We just lost six hours. And I'm like, Oh man, I'm going to stop whining about the hour and a half. I feel like I'm behind because I bet you they got a flight booked and I don't, you know? So yeah, that was frustrating, but that that's no fault of the trail itself. Oh, I know a mishap. You will not agree with me probably, but we, uh, you know, on the way back, we were going to take that. We're taking the Amtrak. Um, we didn't buy the ticket yet because we weren't sure exactly, you know, if we were going to be on time or not. <clears throat> so we thought, and we didn't book a hotel. Cause again, we're like, we don't know when we'll get there. So we got off trail. Yosemite took the, uh, you know, little trail bus to um, Merced, got our tickets to the Amtrak station. And we had planned, we're like, Oh, we'll just kind of hang out at the Amtrak station. That'll be fine. We've been hiking, you know, sleeping on the ground. We'll just hang out at the Amtrak station. And um, the Amtrak station closes, right? I didn't think about, we didn't think about that. The Amtrak station closes. So we're like, no, we, all the hotels nearby are booked. Like there's no hotels nearby. So we, you know, we went out to eat. We went to a, like a late night movie. And then we just like basically parked outside of the Amtrak station, kind of a sketchy part of town. And <laughs> I did not sleep at all. I was just like, there were, um, yeah, it was, it was, that was a mishap. That was not the way I wanted to like end this epic trip is like, yeah, hanging out overnight, looking like a homeless person at the Amtrak station in a sketchy neighborhood. <laughs> to be fair, there was a lot of light there. So it was well lit. It was well lit. So yeah. something, I mean, these two homeless people are on display, well lit, but then, you know, you try something they're, you know, probably cameras around too. I, I figured. Yeah. Anyway, so. no big trail mishaps, thankfully. I did um, almost fall on my face though. Talking about trail names. So I didn't have one for a while. And at some point I, I was like twirling my trekking poles as I pivoted around like, uh, you know, um, I'll switch back switchbacks coming around in a dramatic fashion and um so right. pivot that's right pivot for a little while um which i actually think is a better name than cheers but uh so i was showing off coming around a switchback <laughs> tripped almost i mean almost smashed my face on a rock and she stopped calling me pivot right then and there and like stop screwing around and it really could have been bad. it was close like Ooh. i probably could have broken my arm and or my face i think you could have like i could have broken injury. my nose it was it, yeah so like i stopped screwing around mm. yeah that's that's the one thing i'm really fearful of is being out on the trail in the middle of nowhere and just some freak mishap and you get injured and trying to figure out okay now what yeah yeah 
So I stopped doing that. Uh, <laughs> no more fancy twirls around me. I would say you're only, you're, you're only as old as you act, but sometimes you got to act older than that. Coconuts, if, if someone had asked you ahead of time, is, it, is there more apprehension in sleeping in a well-lit train station or out in the middle of nowhere where there's bears? Uh, would you have predicted that your answer would have been the train station? No, probably not. No, no. I'd rather sleep with the bears. Yeah, I'd sleep with the bears. <laughs> <laughs> that was nice. a sketch. Nice. Fortunately, it finally got to be like 5 a.m. and we could justify walking about, you know, uh, 0.6 miles to a Starbucks that opened up. And so we drank coffee from 5 a.m. until about 7 when our train left and then, then hobbled. I was hobbled like, I want my trekking one. poles. Yeah. Can I use my trekking poles in the city? <laughs> we did not take a zero day, but it was time for one for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. Right. Now, Coconuts, was this your first experience with trekking poles? You know, we'd use them around here, around like mostly like for snowshoeing. Actually, I didn't, I don't like using trekking poles um, here in the Midwest where there's not a lot of elevation gain. It just like, they feel like they're just like extra weight and kind of clunky, but I do use them when we go snowshoeing. And there are some, so on the Western coast of, coast of, of Iowa, (laughs) (laughs) the Western edge of Iowa, uh, there are some bluffs called the Les Hills. Um, that are really pretty and you can actually have a little elevation gain and I actually do like using my trekking poles out there but um, most of the time we don't need trekking poles here. I mean they help if you got weight on your back if you're just hiking day hiking. Yeah I mean we trained with them when we had weight on our backs but you know typically in southwest Iowa no need for trekking poles unless you're in this. I have found that with a lot of first-time backpackers that uh, they're really are, are nervous about what the way they look with trekking poles and have kind of a, an aversion to trekking poles. And I try and explain to them, no, no, you need the trekking poles. They are a huge help, uh, especially with the, the altitude changes. And uh, like you said, uh, cheers, the, the pack weight. Yeah, we took a little uh, sort of family, socially distant kind of birthday party backpacking trip with our two boys. Uh, One's going to school, one's got his own little family, and um, we just kind of all met at this place where we like to go. That's got some some nice hills out out there. Um, Hitchcock Nature Center is what it is. Um, And there's a, I mean, a short little backpacking in or whatever. And we had gone back to our, back to the trailhead just to pick up some, some extra food or water or something. And uh, I was like, here, try the, try the trekking poles on the way back or whatever. To the boys. To the boys, yeah. And they were like, uh. Uh, But they took, and I swear, and one of my, well, I don't remember, one of them had, you know, a bunch of extra junk on his back. And it was a, it it was a back glamping. I mean, it it was not a a difficult trip by any measure. We had tons of extra stupid stuff, but he had weight on his back and he, he took those about, I don't know, a quarter mile down the trail. He, Whoa, these are great. So, and they, you know, they, both so they became the tool, leaders. you know, it's yeah. a tool like anything else. You got the right tools and your, your life is a little easier and that's mm-hmm. a very good tool for the right situation. Right. Now coconuts, you are, uh, you can't not have gluten or dairy. Is that correct? Uh, yeah. Right. Yeah. So oh, what, what kind of challenge did that present in preparing for the trail and food on the trail? Yeah. So, you know, Jay's a really good cook. Like he cooked all through college and we actually had a restaurant for a while. So, um, 
he did pretty much like all of the meal prep for us. So we didn't buy like any mountain houses or anything like that. We didn't do any ramen noodles or Slim Jims or Ho-Hos. And I mean, I'm kind of a nutrition nerd too. So um, we did have like gummy bears. I, I broke a few of my own rules, but um, pretty much he did a lot of like just home cooked meals, like really yummy, you know, beans and rice, sometimes like a Moroccan flair with preserved lemons and um, so really just all homemade, like he made homemade granola with cardamom, which was like so delicious. The cardamom really like popped. So pretty much everything, I mean, not everything was homemade. Like we had pro bars for breakfast. So I just had to be a little more conscientious with my, with the selection of, uh, you know, prepackaged things that we did. But our main meals, like in the evening, our one hot meal in the evening was all just homemade things that Jay dehydrated. Very good. And you know, just being really careful with like, I mean, I did eat at um, Red's Meadow, um, you know, burger with no bun and that kind of thing. Um, and it was, you know, most people I think are, are pretty up to speed on the whole gluten thing. If not, like I can kind of quickly educate them to feel safe enough. <laughs> but because he cooked, cooked everything ahead of time and we, you know, carefully, you know, pre-ordered some, you know, nut butters that were good and had some extra nutrition and those things like it really, it was, it was not too hard. I mean, because you did the hard work. It was not too hard for me because he did all the hard work. <laughs> what, what was your favorite meal that, that Jay prepared? Oh, you know, I think it was, so it's like this, uh, like a Moroccan tagine with rice and it had like these like preserved lemons in it. So the preserved lemons, like, you know, preserve in salt for a month or more. And they're just like this flavor bomb. And I swear that we had that one below, below Forrester Pass. Know, you she's trying to me. scrutinize and say that the book is full of errors now. <laughs> I think we had it below Forrester Pass, but it we was really, have. it was delicious. Sorry about I mean, that. everything tastes better on the trail. You know, you're like, this is the best banana chip I've ever had, actually. <laughs> Well, you know what? I think, you know, there are some things that I ate on the trail and I ate every day and I cannot look at now just because it was just, I got sick of it. And so I think if you take care of your feet and if you have meals like the ones you just described, coconuts, uh, I think you're in a real good spot on the trail. Yeah. I feel the same way about banana chips though. Like we over, we, we over, we over banana chips, banana chips the first probably three or four days. Yeah. And did you guys resupply at the traditional resupply points on the trail or how did that work? We did uh, MTR and Red's Meadow. Okay. So just two resupplies. Mm -hmm. Yes. Very good. And how many days did your, your trip take? We started at Horseshoe Meadows and we were 17 days. Including Horseshoe, like from starting Horseshoe. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, we, we hit, we hit Mount Whitney on day three. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, yeah, we, we camped at, what is that, Crabtree Junction on night two and night three, and then, and then we're off and running. So I guess the official JMT was probably like 14 and a half days, but our, our trip was, you know, 250 miles, roughly 17 days. Yeah, that's a, that's a good duration, making some, some good time, putting in some miles. What was your longest day, your longest mileage day? 19 and a half or so, I would say, roughly, give or take one-tenth of a mile. Very good. 
Now, you guys, I know in Jay, in, in your book, you have two appendices. Uh, first one about the gear that you guys brought. And then the second one is about uh, recommendations. And in that particular section, you have um, bargain advice. You have gear yeah. that you'd leave behind and gear that you'd bring next time. You want to give yeah. us some, some highlights from, from those sections? Gear oh, advice? I don't have a book in front of me. Uh, what was there? Um, things that I would bring that I did not bring was enough ibuprofen. Um, my knee was bothering me. So we de- our, both of our knees are bothering us. So I needed more ibuprofen. Um, we already talked about the tennis ball thing or the, uh, you know, the yoga tune-up ball. Tune-up ball. <clears throat> um, I would definitely bring that on any hike of any length whatsoever. Uh, you mentioned bargain advice. I bought a $10 ice tech, I think it is, stove off of Amazon. And that thing has been a champ. Uh, I don't see any reason to spend 50 or 60 or 70 or $100 on a stove. I mean, I'm sure I can get a lighter stove. But that thing's been really, really reliable. So I'm going to go with my $10 stove. Uh, ice tech, I think is what it's called. Uh, 10 bucks on Amazon. But nice. That. And you'll send us a picture of that so we can put that on social media to, for our listeners to take a look at. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I can do that. Might be, might be the most boring picture of, of the group that we post, yeah, but uh, <laughs> yeah. I can do that. That is certainly not a million word picture. That is a, uh, no, that would be a $10 worth of, of, of a picture. What did you notice on my gear list that intrigued you? I like I like the ultras. I like the wide toe boxes. Um, did you see anything that caught your eye? Uh, no, no. I I just thought it was it was a very helpful feature for the book to have that kind of um, awareness to put in the gear list and then put in your your recommendations and uh, kind of lessons learned. As part of the yeah, book. I actually, you know, I shot a gear video for YouTube before we left, and I really wanted to come back and shoot another video after and just kind of review. Okay, here's what I took, and here's what I liked, and here's what I didn't like. Um, so I think the two appendices in the back of the book are really my sh- sort of shout out to YouTube <laughs> to help people in the way that YouTube had been helpful to me. So I guess if there was one thing. We, we talked about the food thing a little bit. Um, here's a pro tip. This is a pro tip for you. And here's another one. Number three, free. Um, but I, I would say, like, get yourself a food dehydrator. Like, it's not hard to cook, you know? Um, you don't have to, like, make rice in just water and have it plain and slightly less nutritious. Like, I have a crock pot, and I put turkey bones in there or beef bones or chicken bones or a chicken carcass. And you let that thing rip for like two weeks straight and make bone broth that's like deeply nutritious and totally bomb flavorful. Cook your rice in bone broth and then dehydrate that. And, you know, saute some onions and whatever flavoring, you know, throw some curry powder in it and some of it and some, you know, chili powder and another. But get yourself a food dehydrator like this time of year, right? You know, uh, we're in, we're recording this uh, early to mid uh, December, like this is the time when uh, department stores have food dehydrators for 20 bucks as, you know, some lame, easy to buy, uh, thoughtless Christmas gift. But uh, buy yourself one of those $20. It's, you plug it in and it turns on and there's one setting, but 
it does the thing that it needs to do. It dehydrates rice or beans or whatever. It's great. So there's a pro tip for you. Buy a food dehydrator and use it. It's not hard. Fantastic. We're up to three and we've got one more coming. So I hope, I hope you're not tapped dry. But yeah, uh, probably <laughs> losing them all, yeah. <laughs> all right. Hey, occasionally my listeners know I like to throw in a, a quick uh, impromptu top five list. So I'm going to put you guys on the spot and see if you can come up with the top five most beautiful sites from your John Muir trail hike. Ooh. We'll start, start with number five, work our way up. Oh, in order. Yes. Oh, in order, huh? Oh, this is hard because it's all so beautiful. Well, I already named like three places. Okay. And those three places would be on my top five. Okay. What so are they? just south of Mather, the yeah. upper basin where we camped. Um, just south of Forrester. Yeah, highest Tindall Creek. High, yeah, that highest Tindall Creek. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ruby Lake. We took a nap by Ruby Lake. That was a beautiful napping spot. Um, I think for me, one of my, well, okay. I, so I mentioned the, the day doing Muir Pass was really beautiful. I thought that was, a, my, that was probably my favorite day of hiking of all. Um, but I really liked trail pass to Whitney Summit, that 1.9 miles, you know, just like kind of hopping across the rocks. I was sure Michelle will not agree with that one, but I thought that was really fun hiking dangerous and stupid that was before I nearly fell on my face but that was really fun I like that area that was also when you were hiking in front I was still hiking in front there, yes <laughs> like a little I don't know yeah gecko or something <laughs> what else I really think I mean Lyle Canyon was really pretty it was really different than any of the other things you know further south with the granite but just the the pretty meandering creek through Lyle Canyon was really pretty. I'm not sure if they'd be in my top five, but I, I liked that spot. We had like a shorter day and, you know, we'd hard, hiked the, the hardest parts. And so it felt like, I felt yeah. like I was a lot more relaxed probably just camping along the, the, the creek at Lyle Canyon. You know, one thing I found interesting, I watched a lot of, like we said, I watched a lot of YouTube videos and a lot of people are coming a sort of traditionally you go southbound from Yosemite to Mount Whitney and everybody is like, Oh man, each day is more beautiful than last. Well, wait a second. I've never been prior to this. I'd never been to Yosemite. And I was like, wait a second. I thought Yosemite was supposed to be one of the most beautiful places in the world. And you're saying it gets better each day. How is that possible? This does not compute. We went northbound from Whitney to, uh, to Yosemite. And I would say the Southern half of the JMT was far and away or beautiful, like totally. Um, and so that's opinion. not to say that as we hiked northbound, it got uglier as you went. It was beautiful, but like, oh my gosh, that high stuff is just ridiculous um, for me. Just unlike other places. Yeah, I, I thought it was fantastic. So I got that, but it was weird. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree that uh, that that southern half of the of the John Muir Trail, where the majority of your time is spent over ten thousand feet, there is yeah. something really raw and powerful about that. Just that kind of that desolate beauty up there. Yeah. You know? Yes. Totally. Yeah. All yeah. right. Hey, great choices all the way around. Thank you. Is that five? Good. We'll call it five. Yeah, I think so. I think we may have exceeded five. So that's okay. That's good. That's good. It's our top 20. <laughs> Guys, you know where we are right now? Uh, you're putting, on this, uh, uh, putting us on the spot for something that I've probably already done. 
Yes, that's right. It's time for pro the tip. pro tip, the pro tip inside of the week. What do you have for us? Shouldn't have made that food dehydrator comment. My pro tip is that tennis ball thing. Roll your feet out, you know? I mean, I don't know if I got something extra up my sleeve, but we, we went on a 42-mile hike in the upper peninsula of uh, Michigan up along uh, Lake Superior this, this summer. Um, the pictured rocks, National, National Lakeshore. Lake it's uh, the North Country Trail. We did a stretch of that, and we did take that. And I religiously rolled my feet out every single night. And that was a game changer. I want to do the JMT again and roll my feet out just to see how awesome that is. Fantastic. Great, great pro tip. Also, I'm not sure if people picked up that the, your comment on the socks earlier, you had, you had socks with uh, individual toe slots, right? Yeah, uh, in gingy toe socks. I like yeah, toe socks. Very good. I would not consider myself like a toe sock guy before, but they they were on sale, and I was trying to figure stuff out. And I was actually I was gonna I was trying to decide. I I bought them because they were on sale, and I was thinking that I was gonna take some flip flops as camp shoes. Okay, here's your pro tip: if you're cutting weight and you were like, oh, I'll just leave camp shoes at home, go ahead and take some flip flops because if you finish your day with wet feet or something like that. To be able to slip into a pair of, of flip-flops or sandals or something is pretty daggone luxurious. So I wish I had done that. I did not. Um, but I bought the toe socks thinking that that was going to be my plan so I could take my flip-flops, which I like to wear, uh, but, but have you know warm toes if it's cold at elevation or in the evening. And so, but in, in experimenting with them, I realized that I like to hike in them too. I knew you had another pro tip in you. I did. <laughs> All right. Hey, what's, what's next for Cheers and Coconuts? What's the next adventure? You know, um, so I'm planning a solo, like my first solo uh, hike this spring um, down at the Eagle Rock Loop, which actually I heard about that from your podcast. <laughs> Because that's like nine miles, nine miles, nine hours from where we live. And I thought I've been wanting to do a solo trip. And so I'll be doing that in March. And then we are putting in for permits to do the Grand Canyon, uh, rim to rim to rim in uh, mid-May. We can get the permits. Fantastic. Yeah. I have to tell you my pro tip. Can I tell you my pro tip? Oh, yes. Yes, please. Yeah. Don't let, don't let cheers, don't let cheers hog all the pro tips. I'm like super dorky about my pro tip because um, as a yoga person, um, like, and I'm a big reader, I'm kind of like a nerd with sciencey stuff. Like my pro tip is to breathe through your mouth and, and anybody, not through your mouth, God, not through your mouth, through your nose, through your nose, through your nose, cancel that through your nose. So and I would say this is, I don't know if you've seen this book, it's called Breath by James Nestor. It's a New York Times bestselling book. Um, I would say, you know, read his book, listen to his podcast. But if, you're, if you don't want to do that, you know, train and breathe through your nose as much as you can because you get more oxygen that way. And it, it's, it's so much better for like all of your functions to breathe through your nose, not your mouth. Fantastic. Great pro tip there, Coconuts. 
So there you have it. That's it. Season two, episode three is in the books. I hope our listeners enjoyed our time with Cheers and Coconuts. And I want to thank them for joining us this week. Guys, how can our listeners keep up with you on social media and where can they find updates on your latest adventures? Uh, let's see. Instagram, I'm Pablo underscore Fahrenheit. Twitter, I think it's just Pablo Fahrenheit. Um, if you care about pants, uh, there's a drinking pants page on Facebook. Yeah. And I'm at Radiant Wellness Solutions on Instagram and Facebook. Fantastic. Remember to check out the pod on social media as well. We are on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter. And if you have comments or clips uh, that you want to share, you can send it to me at johnfreakinmirror at gmail.com. Guys, I'm also looking to give uh, our listeners recommendations for a book, movie, documentary, website, YouTube channel that will keep them connected to the outdoor adventures. We're calling this our adventure media recommendation. Any, uh, any thoughts on that? Oh my gosh. Well, I really think that the breath book is good. Okay. Like it's really great for, to support your adventure. Um, I really like, um, the other book that I would recommend is kind of probably a non-traditional one, but it's by Micah Mortali called Rewilding. And um, he's this mindful outdoor guide at the Kripalu Center up in the Berkshires. So it's like this uh, kind of melding of like mindfulness and outdoor skills. Um, that's really, it's kind of, it's kind of a unique blend that I'm really enjoying. Okay, great. And we, we had media recommendations throughout the podcast, I believe. We had a uh, mile, mile and a half. Um, we had uh Drain the Hetch, the Hetch videos that you, you talked about on some of the, the YouTube channels that you, you watched. So yeah. very good. Anything yeah. else uh, there? Cheers. I can give you a book. Um, I can give you a couple of books. I mean, I'll just like say Edward Abbey in passing or whatever. You should already do that. Like um, you want some like original through hiker kind of guide from back in the day. Um, I don't know if you guys have heard of Everett Lewis. A lot of us will have. Um, but if you're younger or newer or whatever, I would say check out this book called uh, uh, Vagabond for Beauty by W.L. Rousseau. Um, it's about this guy, this young kid named Everett Ruiz who disappeared in the, uh, gosh, 34, 35 or something like that. He used to tramp out in, you know, Arizona, Utah, some of the places that we all like, the California as well. Um, so I would say something like that's kind of cool. One of the books that I discovered when, uh, when we were in North Carolina, I was kind of grooving on the AT idea was um, uh, Lynn? Lynn Setzer is her name. And the book was Appalachian Trail or uh, a, a season. season on the Appalachian Trail. That was kind of cool. And I feel like that's maybe kind of a tiny, obscure um, choice. But like, I thought the way that that was done was, was kind of cool. Um, so there'd be a couple of them. Fantastic. I mean, that's what this podcast is all about is just trying to keep me connected to the outdoors and any, any kind of, I'm thirsty for any kind of adventure media out there to just to keep that connection. So I appreciate that. Thank you very much. You bet. All right. That is a wrap from the John freaking Muir studio. You want to give any shout outs to family or friends out there? Hello, family and friends. Um, I'll give a shout out to Rooster, who was the, the guy that took us to the trail. Uh, we had never hitchhiked before. And so Rooster, he's a, he's a science teacher from L.A. and a fine guy that gave us a ride. So thanks, Rooster. All right. Great job, Rooster. Hope you're listening.
<laughs> we'll have to share this with them. Nice. All right. Thank you for tuning in. And always remember the trail is the trail. It doesn't care if you want to go downhill. It doesn't care if it's almost dark and you're looking for a campsite. The trail is the trail. Embrace the suck.